I love the weather. Man, it just feels good outside, doesn't it? It, it makes me feel a little bit younger. And uh, gosh, man, I'm, I'm, it's September. And so we can start ordering um, our coffee with a, with a splash of pumpkin in them now, can't we? And uh, we, we're burning uh, pumpkin spice candles and stuff around the house. Man, makes me just want to go look at Pinterest or something. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, sorry guys. Sorry to disappoint the men in the room that I know what Pinterest is, but I do. Uh, anyway, it's good to see you guys, and uh, I'm ready to jump in with today's message. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to Hebrews 11. We're going to look at verses 23 through 29. Hebrews 11. That's in the New Testament. It's um, almost at the very back of your Bible. If you find James or Peter, you're pretty close. And uh, find Hebrews chapter 11. Also reach inside of your bulletin. Take out your message notes. You'll see there are some fill-in-the-blanks and scripture passages and different things like that. Uh, for you to help follow along. H- how many of you guys wear glasses? Glasses or contacts? Because it's kind of obvious if you wear glasses. But glasses or contacts? Just, just again, let me see. Yeah, I, I have worn glasses since I think I was, uh, I think I was 16 when I first got my glasses. And uh, do you remember when you first started wearing your glasses? I, I, I was amazed. I, I was having tr- I played baseball. And uh, I had trouble seeing the ball. It, it wasn't a whole, I was sitting in the classroom, couldn't see the board thing. I didn't really care about seeing the board. But I, I couldn't see the baseball. So I had my eyes checked out. Sure enough, I needed glasses. Been, been wearing them for, well, I don't even know what the math is now. But I was about 15 or 16 when, when I got them. And I remember walking outside of the doctor's office for the first time, you know, Back then, you, you, you went to the eye doctor, they checked everything out, you got your prescription, but then they had to order the glasses, and so you would have to come back a week or so later. So the day I went to get my glasses, pick them up, they were fitted, all that stuff, I walked outside. didn't seem that big of a deal on the inside of the doctor's office, but when I got outside, I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. I couldn't believe how clearly I could see things, and there was a... Um, there was a, a big maple tree there. I'm sorry, not a maple tree, a magnolia tree. And I was like, I can't believe it. Leaves are these individual things. They're not just like one big clump. It's in, individual. And, uh, and it was just amazing how well I could see. And I could have kicked myself for not getting glasses earlier. I was thinking, man, if I would have had glasses in Little League, you know, maybe I'd have been a better ball player or something. But glasses, they're a tool. You know, the, the Bible says that we have a spiritual vision problem. And that there is a tool that fixes our spiritual vision problem. And that tool is faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Today we're kicking off a brand new series through the book of Hebrews. And it's called Greater Faith. And during this series, we're going to be looking at some of the the greatest men and women of God 
in the whole Bible. But here's the thing. They're not perfect people. Now, they're, they're presented in Hebrews 11, which some people call the Hall of Faith. And, and so, in a way, you're looking at their highlight reel. But these guys and gals also have a blooper reel. I mean, they have problems. They make mistakes. And when I talk about them being great, what I really mean is that they had a great faith in a great God. Along the way in their lives, they learned truly how to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, before we dig in too deep, I want to tell you that I have two reasons um, to be excited about this series. One is I want it to encourage you. I want it to build up your faith. But the second reason is because I have believed for about a year and a half now that God is preparing our church to go to the next level. And during this series, I'm going to be talking to you about some of the things that I believe are next level things. But I believe that God has put this series on my heart, not to make it sound so Pinterest, but I believe that God has put this series on my heart to prepare us even further for what God wants to do in the very near future. So as we start this series, we're going to start by looking into the life of Moses. And no offense to Abraham or Noah or Joshua, any of those guys, but I would say that Moses is the greatest man in the Old Testament. And he has quite a resume. I mean, if you think about some of the highlights in his highlight reel, um, his birth story, which we'll touch on just a little bit today, pretty incredible. Uh, God gave him the Ten Commandments. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Anybody know what those are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then... Uh, what I think would be the capstone of his career of faith in the Lord would be the Exodus, where he led the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And I would say that other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Exodus is the most important event in the entire Bible. Why do I say that? Because everything Jesus believed about himself Everything that Jesus did, including his death on the cross and his resurrection, is all based on the Exodus story. Did I mention to you that these people in Hebrews 11, some of these greatest men and women of God we're going to talk about, they had problems? Moses did. Moses was insecure. Anybody in here insecure? You don't have to smile or wave your hands or anything like that. Moses was insecure. He, he, he never felt like he had the gifts and abilities to do any of the things really that God wanted him to do. But he learned how to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me tell you what faith is and then we'll just dig in here. Faith is trusting and obeying God 
no matter what the circumstances might be, and with no regard to what the consequences might be. And if there's anything great about Moses, it's that he learned how to trust and obey God no matter what the circumstances of his life might be and irregardless of the consequences. And and you'll see that. You'll see it this morning as we dig into his life. Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. You guys still with me? Here we go. The Hebrew preacher, because again, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We talked about this some last week. So I'll just refer to him as the Hebrew preacher. He's a Jewish preacher, a Christian. He's the head of a flock. We don't know how big the church is, but he's talking to Christians who are being ostracized for their faith. And so as a way of encouraging them and building building them up, he says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. I'll tell you why in a minute. Because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, every person, every parent, they think that their child is special, don't they? And every child is special, but every parent thinks that their child is just a little more special than everybody else's child. Is that not true? Is that not true? You guys know it's true. Now, you younger parents, y'all don't have to say much, but I'm just telling you, we older parents, we know everybody think their kid is the cutest or the most ingenious or they learn how to eat their Cheerios just a little bit faster than every other kid or something. But Moses was special. He He was special. We'll see how as we walk through this. Verse 24 By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, obviously, the Hebrew preacher is writing to an audience that has some of these details already. But you hang on, and we'll unpack this. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why does that matter to this group of people? Because this group of people, they are being ostracized, they're being persecuted, even killed because of their faith in Jesus. And so think about how much it would mean to this group of Hebrew Christians who are hearing this and to realize, wow, yeah, Moses went through something very similar to what we're going through now. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith, verse 29, The people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. I think that there are four keys, 
four key principles to learn here about how to have faith in God and how to have a greater faith. So let me give these to you. Here's number one, key number one. Have the courage to be yourself. Have the courage to be yourself. God created you. Listen to me. Once you've got that written down, look up at me. God created you with your own purpose and your own plan. God never intended for you to copy someone else's life. That doesn't mean that you don't look up to people. It doesn't mean that you don't have heroes in life. It it doesn't even mean that you don't look at someone uh, as a leader and you sort of model their leadership in your life, but God never intended you to live as someone else. Have the courage to be who God created you to be. And let me tell you something. I know this as well as anybody. It will take courage for you to be who you are because the world wants you to live like everyone else. The world doesn't want you to be different. The world doesn't even want to acknowledge that there are differences in people. The world tries to make us all the same. Now, we all are the same in the sense that we all have value. God values us all the same. Moses was no more valuable to God than you are to God, but we are different, and that's all right. Be who you are. And let me tell you something. If you try to live your life pretending to be something or someone you're not, it'll cause an identity crisis in your life. In fact, I think that's where most midlife crisis come from. At some point, whatever we think that midpoint is, we start feeling like we, we haven't really accomplished what we were put here to accomplish. Is Kyle Bush still interstate batteries? Oh, cheap batteries. It's his fault. I hate Kyle Bush. No. What was I saying? Identity crisis. Moses had an identity crisis. Moses had an identity crisis because he was born a Jew and raised an Egyptian. Let let me give you a little bit of the rundown. And it's a fascinating story. You should really go uh, back to Exodus, read Exodus 1 and 2. Actually, if you'll go back to about Genesis 36 and read the stories of Joseph that takes you through the end of Genesis 
and, and then pick up with Exodus 1 and 2. But here, here's just sort of a, a summary about how that goes down. At the end of Genesis, you have the Joseph narratives. And Joseph, and it's all by the providence of God, had a food rationing plan that saved the Egyptians from starvation. And the Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, he just thought that Joseph was the greatest thing in the world. In fact, he was the number two man in his entire kingdom. It's a tremendous story about how God takes this Jewish kid from the pit to the palace. Well, the king of Egypt tells Joseph to bring all of his family to Egypt. And so when Genesis ends, Joseph and all of God's people, all of the children of Israel, they're all just living happily in Egypt. But when Exodus opens up about 300 years later, there is a new line of pharaohs in Egypt. And I think the way, I think the way Moses says it is, the king no longer knew Joseph, which means to say everything that Joseph had done for Egypt was long forgotten. And now there are so many Israelites living in Egypt that the Pharaoh begins to get afraid of them. He, he thinks if an enemy ever comes in and attacks us, then the these Hebrews, these Israelites, these Jews, it all means the same thing, could fight with our enemies to destroy us. And so he and the Egyptian people enslave the children of Israel, and they put them to work building their buildings, doing different biz, uh, building projects. By the providence of God, Moses' parents feared God more than the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh had put a plan into place to control the Israelite population to kill all of the male children that were being born to these Israelites. And when Moses was so big, about three months of age, his parents could no longer hide him, his mama put him in a basket, put him in the Nile River, and it just so happened. Of course, it didn't just so happen. It's God at work. The daughter of the Pharaoh was having a bathing party in the Nile River, and she saw the basket, realized it was a Hebrew baby, and she took him to raise him as her own son. Now, she had not had a baby, so she couldn't nurse him. So Miriam, who was Moses' sister, was nearby watching to see if Moses was going to be okay or not. And when the daughter of the Pharaoh was holding this little boy, holding little baby Moses, she came over and said, hey, I know a Hebrew mother who could nurse him for you. And it was Moses' very own mother. And so she raised him probably until he was about 13, maybe even to the age of 15 years. And so Moses' identity crisis is that he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew, 
but he's being raised like he's an Egyptian. But at some point in his life, he had to answer the same question that all of us have to answer, and that is, who am I? Who am I really? Am I just pretending to be someone else? Who am I really? And for Moses, if, if he said, well, I'm an Egyptian, then that meant for him a life on easy street. Because he was a part of the royal family, he was a prince of Egypt, he just had the whole world at his fingertips. But if he would have said, I'm a Jew, he would have been kicked out of the Pharaoh's palace and forced to live as a slave for the rest of his life. And one day, in the providence of God, Exodus 2, Moses is all grown up, walking amongst the building projects in Egypt, and he saw one of the Egyptian taskmasters beating one of the Hebrews. Now keep this in mind. Moses' Egyptian mother had been, you know, from the time she could hold him until he's a grown man, she would say things to him like, one day you're going to be the king of Egypt. One day you're going to be Pharaoh. But his Hebrew mama was saying, there is a God and you're not him. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And, and if you think about this, as he grew older, she would watch another woman dress him. And he's not wearing Hebrew clothes. He has all the Egyptian haircuts. He, he's wearing their clothes. He has all the Egyptian makeup and eyeliner, everything that made him Egyptian royalty. And she would say, honey, you're not a God, but there is a God, and that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that day, that fateful day, that Moses saw the taskmaster beating this Hebrew and remembering that God had a purpose and a plan for his life and the fact that he had a conscience and could not walk away from this man being mistreated, he made a decision that cost him the next 80 years of his life. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That means that he stopped living like an Egyptian and began to identify himself as who he really is, a Hebrew. The word refused means that he cut himself off from being an Egyptian. See, he came to a crossroad in his life where he had to make the decision. He had to choose a path. Am I Egyptian or am I Hebrew? 
Do I live like I am God? Or do I live like there is a God who has a plan and purpose for my life? He picked the right path. He chose to follow the true and living God and to live out God's plan and purpose for his life. Listen to me. Don't waste your life trying to be someone that you're not. Here's key number two. Take responsibility for your own life. Oh my gosh, here's where I'm going to sound like the lecturing parent. But you need to hear it. We all need to hear it. Take responsibility for your own life. Look again at Hebrews 11.25. It says, he chose, he is Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Our decisions have consequences. Our decisions have consequences. The decision that Moses made to live as a Hebrew, a Jew, and not an Egyptian changed the whole trajectory of his life. He killed that Egyptian taskmaster and buried him in the sand. See, all these people are not perfect. He killed that man and tried to cover it up. The next day, one of the Hebrews, two of the Hebrews were fighting, and one of them called Moses out and said, are you going to do to us the same thing that you did to that Egyptian yesterday? Are you going to kill us and hide us in the sand? And Moses took off and lived as a fugitive, really, for the next 40 years of his life in the desert, living a life that was completely different than the one he was living. Your decisions have consequences. So, so look. Take responsibility for your own life and where you are right now. Stop blaming other people for where you are and who you are. Now listen, I'm not saying for one moment that others have not had a hand in who you are and where you are. Like maybe you grew up with abusive parents or you grew up without parents or, or maybe someone else abused you and so that puts a wrinkle in your life. I mean, that affects who you are and how you grow up and those sorts of things. And I'm not saying that there's, there's not some responsibility that others bear, but look, if you're waiting for somebody else to come in and save your life and change your life and fix your life and work everything out for you, you're just going to be waiting for the rest of your life. You have to start where you are right now. You know, one of the, the biggest problems that I see, and Moses struggled with this for 40 years looking backwards. Most of us run the clock out on our lives because we spend so much of our lives looking backward. We, we worry about what was done to us yesterday or what we didn't do for ourselves yesterday. You, you can't live in yesterday. I, I read a great quote this week from Jerry Rice. Where, where are the 49ers fans in the room? I knew we had one or two back here. Jerry Rice, you know, Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. He said, don't waste too much of today 
worrying about yesterday. There's no future living in the past. You can't change anything about yesterday, but what you can do is take responsibility for your own life and grow up. The Bible says here that when Moses had grown up, when he matured, he started making the right decisions. And you need to mature and own your life, whether you're 20 or 50 or 70. Nobody's going to rush in to start making better decisions for you. It was your decisions that got you here. It's your decisions that will get you out of where you are. All right, enough lecturing. Here's key number three. Clarify your values. Clarify your values. I feel a little bit like a professor, but oh well. This is where you have to ask yourself what's really important in life. And don't make this decision casually. Give this some thought. This is important because your values determine your character. And if you want to know who a person is, just look at their character. And your values are important because they direct your life. You know why? Because your values are like the filter through which you make all of your decisions. And your life will go wherever your decisions take you. So your values matter. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty six again. It's in your notes. It says, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I want you to underline the word regarded. That word regarded means to consider or to weigh the value. This means that at some point in his life, Moses decided that God's will was more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt. Think about that. Think about what a decision that has to be. I mean, he has the world by the tail. I mean, he has an opportunity that most people in the world would just die for. And he gives it up. I want you to write down three words somewhere in the margin of your notes. Pleasure, possessions, and power. These are the three basic values of the world. The Egyptian world, when Moses was alive on earth, and the world today. Pleasure means I want to feel good. Possessions, I want more. Power, I want position and influence over people. And if you think about it again, Moses had all of these things, but he made the decision to walk away and to identify with a group of slaves. And don't you know, don't you know that his friends, and I don't know if he talked this over with his buddies or not, but if he, if he did talk this over with his buddies, don't you know they said, man, you're crazy. What kind of person makes that kind of decision? And the answer is a man whose values were based in faith in God 
not the values of this world. And Moses valued three things that changed his life, and I think they'll change yours. Write these down. We got to hurry. Here's the first one. Value purpose over popularity. Value purpose over popularity. Again, in verse 24, Moses refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine giving up that status symbol? Talk about popular. I mean, everybody knew Moses' name. He had the title. Everywhere he went, people were bowing before him. But Moses knew there was more. He knew that God had a plan and a purpose for his life. You know, I, I told you that Moses had an identity crisis. He had a, a Hebrew mother and an Egyptian mother. And one mother raised him to have godly standards. In Egypt, the Pharaoh was God. He was worshiped as God. And so one mama is raising him to be a God. The other mother is raising him to believe in the true and living God. And you know what Moses knew? It was the same thing that all the other kings of Egypt knew. They knew they were not God. But Moses was willing to pick a side. He was willing to believe in who the real God is. And so he accepted God's plan and purpose rather than choosing popularity. Mom, if you raise your daughter to value being popular, that's what will drive her life. And she'll make decisions based on that, not just the small ones, not, not the ones about whether she wears Hello Kitty when she's in the sixth grade or not. She'll make important decisions about what she's willing to do to stay popular and to keep friends. And your boys will do the very same thing. Be careful of the values you put in your kids. Be careful of the things you value. Because you can say one thing is valuable, but if you demonstrate another, your kids see what's really important to you. Let me give you the second value. Value people over pleasures. Value people over pleasures. Moses had every, every sin, every pleasure of sin that was known to mankind at that time. Right at his fingertips. He could have had anything, any pleasure that he wanted. It was, it was all at his disposal. But he didn't take it. Instead, he chose to give that up and identify with a group of slaves. And it comes down to values. In the world that Moses grew up in, 
People didn't matter. People were things. There were classes of people, and if you were not in the right class of people, you were on the outside looking in. People who were slaves, they were work until they were dead, and then when that slave is done, you just push him to the side, and you put another one in his place. And Moses grew up knowing what that Egyptian value was. He grew up with an Egyptian mama that said, that's okay. But he grew up with another mama who said, that's not okay. He was able to see the slave's perspective He was able to look at the Hebrews, his own people, in a way that the Egyptians never even considered thinking of them. He learned the value of people. And he learned how to say yes to God and no to the world. And and let me tell you this too, knowing that we're out of time, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When you say yes to God, you are automatically saying no to the things of this world. And so you need to know that before you ever say yes to God, before you ever surrender your life to him, you need to know that saying yes to him means you are saying no to the things of this world. Jesus said you cannot worship two masters. That's why Moses had to pick. You can worship God or mammon, not both. And then the third value is peace over possessions. Value peace over possessions. Anybody who says that money won't buy you happiness just doesn't know where to shop. They're being naive. Now, it won't buy you happiness, or it won't buy you peace. It can buy you happiness for a while, but it won't buy you peace, eventually the new wears off. You want me to tell you why most of us are so frustrated in life? It's because we have so much to live on and so little to live for. Don't live for things. Now, does that mean that we should give up all of our things, that we should sell everything we have or give everything away that we have and live in poverty? No, because wealth is neutral. Wealth is neither good nor bad. Good or bad is based on values. In fact, lots of people in the Bible, godly people, were millionaires, even billionaires by the world's standards. The issue is of values. Are you going to live for the right now? Or are you going to live for the eternal reward? The Hebrew preacher says that Moses didn't live for the things of this world. Had he done that? Had he done that? His headdress would be in the Egyptian National Museum in Cairo, just like King Tut's. There wouldn't be a Moses. Maybe no Exodus. Let me give you this last key, and then we'll pray together. Stay focused on the goal. Moses, listen, because this is the last thing I've got time to tell you. 
Moses got his values right because his vision was right. Moses focused on the Lord. If he did anything right, it's that he he kept his eyes on the Lord. And the reason that's so important is because the work that God was calling Moses to do was huge. I mean, there's going to be big, 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 big problems and obstacles that face him. For, For example, how are you going to be able to convince the king of Egypt to give up his slave labor for nothing? How do you change a culture? How do you change their whole society? How do you change this man's thinking who thinks he is God and you're trying to convince him on behalf of God to do something? And then if he does let let them go free, how do you take two million people out of one country, lead them through a desert and into another country? What do you do for food? What do you do for water? You see the issues? There's all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems, all kinds of obstacles. And Moses persevered because he had faith. We'll talk more about it next week. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for examples of faith like Moses. Lord, the reason I think this is so important is because I'm, I'm sure that some of us are, are here today and we're trying to live someone else's life because we're not comfortable with who we are. Or we believe that you have a purpose and a plan for other people's lives, but we're just not convinced that you do for our own. And, and so if we're not comfortable with who you created us to be, there are going to be some important things that go undone in this world. So God, over the coming weeks, help us with faith. Help us to have a greater faith. It's in the great name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week. Hey, buddy, thank you. Good morning, guys. How are you? Man, I love the cooler weather. What's, what's the temperature out there right now? It's still like 71 degrees. That's just perfect, isn't it? Don't you guys think so? Gosh, man, when I, when I wake up in the mornings and it's cool like this, it just, um, it makes me feel better. It just kind of gets me excited. It also makes me want to, to have a drink that's got pumpkin spice in it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with a splash of peppermint, a pump of peppermint, anyway. Um, 
It's great to see you guys. If you're first time, second time guest with us, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River. Welcome again. Glad you guys are with us. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. This morning we're going to be in verses 23 through 29. So Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. And uh, also, if you'll reach inside of your bulletin, if you haven't already, take out your message notes, and uh, we'll get started here. As we get started, need to tell you guys, when it comes to preaching, I, I get sort of, I get a little too ambitious. I, I feel like I can cover more than reality allows for. So if you look at your message notes, it shows that I'm gonna give you four keys to living a life of greater faith. I'm only gonna give you two today because I just can't give you four. I don't have enough time. I like to say too much about the Bible and I just, I just, can't, I just can't cover it all. So for those of you who are type A people, and it's going to drive you nuts to walk out of here today with some, some empty blanks because I can't get that far in the notes. I'm, I'm sorry. You'll just have to bring them back next week. I, just, just too ambitious. I, I apologize for it. But uh, we, we are kicking off a new series today called Greater Faith. And for the next several weeks, pr- probably through October, We're going to be looking into the lives of some of the greatest men and women in the entire Bible. Now, now listen, I'm telling you that they are great men and women of faith, but they're not perfect. That they were not perfect. In fact, our main text for this series is going to be Hebrews 11, and that's often called the the hall of faith, you know, like sports... um, Leagues have Hall of Fames. Some people call this the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith for the men and women of God. But really what you have is the highlight reels from their lives. They also have blooper reels, but but those are not listed. Now, they are listed in the main text of their lives. I mean, that's how we know that they have a blooper reel. But the Hebrew preacher in Hebrews 11 it is not trying to, to show us some of the things that they didn't get right, but they made mistakes. They made mistakes just like you and me. So when I say that they're great people, great men and women of God, I don't mean to imply that somehow they're supernatural or they're, they're humans at a different level than us. No, they're regular, everyday, ordinary kind of people just as ordinary as you and me. They're just regular folk. But they had great faith in a great God. I have two reasons to be excited about this series. One is, just as a pastor, I get to encourage you and build up your faith. That's one of the things that excites me about it. And I get to teach you some things about some of these people that maybe you didn't know. But the second reason that I'm excited about this series is because I've believed that, I don't know, probably for a year and a half now, that God is positioning our church 
to do bigger and greater things, that he wants to take us to the next level in some really important ways that that I want to share with you over the next few weeks. And I believe that God put this series on my heart, not, not to make this a Pinterest sort of thing, but I believe that God put the series on my heart because, again, he wants to position us even more to do greater things. You, me, and us as a church. As we uh, get started this morning, we're going to begin by looking into the life of Moses. And no offense to Abraham, Joshua, and Noah, but I think that Moses is the greatest man in the Old Testament. Just think of his highlight reel for a little bit. The, The story about his birth amazing. We're going to touch on it a little bit today, but it's a story you really should go back and read. It's in Exodus uh, chapter 1. Just a a great story, just how his life was saved uh, from the king uh, of Egypt, the Pharaoh. Um, Amazing. And uh, the, the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? God gave them to Moses so that Moses could give them to the people. Um, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He also led the children of Israel through the Exodus. And I would say that other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Exodus, which is God leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, is the most significant event in the entire Bible. And the reason I say that is because everything Jesus did, including dying on the cross and being raised back from the grave, everything that Jesus believed about himself is built off of the Exodus. Important stuff, an important guy. Again, Moses was not perfect. He had some insecurities. I mean, he, none of us is perfect, right? Amen? Amen. But he did have a great faith in a great God. Do you know what faith is? We talked about this a little last week. Let me give you a definition of faith. You don't have to write it down. You can if you want to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you probably every Sunday uh, throughout this series. Faith in God as it's described in Hebrews 11, is trusting and obeying God no matter what the circumstances might be and no matter what the consequences might be. That means we listen to God and we do what he says. We trust him that even though the circumstances may seem horrible, even though the consequences may be dire, We obey God anyway. That's what faith is. My message today is called Four Keys to Living a Life of Faith. And I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 23 through 29, and then I'll come back and give you um, two keys, not four, right? Unless you guys just want to stay for another 30, 40 minutes. Okay, I hear all the godly people saying, preacher, go for it. We're, we're here. 
and maybe just one or two carnal, ungodly people saying, nah, we better not. So, two keys, not four. Here, here we go, Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 29. Remember, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We just know he's a Hebrew preacher. He's a Christian pastor, and he's writing to a group of people who, Jewish Christians, who have been ostracized because of their faith, and, and they're being persecuted um, because of their faith and trust in Jesus. And so he's trying to encourage them, and he says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, one of the things you have to remember is that when the Hebrew preacher is writing this to these Jewish Christians, that they have a pretty good knowledge, a pretty good background of, of the life and story of Moses. And so some of the details are filled in for them that, that, that we don't necessarily know. But just hang on because I'll try to fill in some of those as we um, unpack Moses' life here. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Mm. That's big. Just let that sort of simmer on the back burner. We'll come back to it. Verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. In other words, he, he wasn't just picking um, a life out of impulse. He, he wasn't just grabbing what he could grab hold of right now. He knew that there was more to life than what's here. He knew that there's more to life than what you can accumulate in this life. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Who is him who is invisible? It's God. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. It's quite a highlight reel, isn't it? So I think there are four important keys for having faith and having greater faith in God. Let me give you two of them. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Have the courage to be yourself. Have the courage to be yourself. Once you've got that written down, I want you to look at me. God created you with a purpose and a plan. Not just the person next to you. God created you with a purpose and a plan. 
Live out God's purpose and plan for your life. Stop trying to live like someone else. Stop trying to be someone you're not. And let me tell you something. If you're going to be yourself in this world, it's going to take courage. That's why I put the courage in there. Have courage to be yourself. The reason it's going to take courage is because this world will do everything it can. It'll put all kinds of pressure on you to live out someone else's life. The, The world wants us to just all be the same. God created us all the same. He loves us all the same. We all have the same value, but we're different. God has a different purpose and a plan for each person's life. Live out that purpose and plan, not someone else's. Warning. If you try to live out someone else's life, you'll have an identity crisis. You've heard of an identity crisis, right? Moses knows something about identity crisis. He had one. He was born a Jew, but he was raised an Egyptian. As I mentioned earlier, it's a fascinating story. You can read all about it in Exodus 1, but let let me just give you a, a snapshot When the book of Genesis ends, it ends with the Joseph narratives, the Joseph stories. And Joseph was a hero in Egypt. He was a hero because he had this food rationing plan that saved Egypt from starvation. And and Joseph was made the number two man in the kingdom. It's a tremendous story about how God can bring a, a, a slave from the pit to the palace. Um... He's the number two man in the kingdom. The king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, thought so much of of Joseph, and and there was a famine in the land. He told Joseph to bring all of his family down to live in Egypt, and so they did. And when Genesis ends, they're all living in Egypt, and everybody seems to be happy. 300 years later, when the book of Exodus opens, everything has changed. And Moses says, because I think Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses said that there's a new line of pharaohs, and the new line of pharaohs no longer remember Joseph. That means it's the whole Janet Jackson. Anybody in here old enough to remember Janet Jackson? I'm just asking. Um... What have you done for me lately? Was she the one that sang that song? Okay, man, I thought I got that wrong for a minute. Uh, Janet Jackson was not really my genre of music, I'll be honest with you. If you want to ask me a question about Kiss, I can handle that. But I'm not always sure about the Janet Jackson stuff. Um, What have you done for me lately? The, 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 The Egyptians have long forgotten. I mean, it's ancient history when Exodus opens. What Joseph had done all those years. And the Pharaoh has decided to imprison, or I'm sorry, enslave the children of Israel. He's put them to building his special building projects. 
and to control the population, he, he orders that the firstborn males um, in every Jewish family, not just firstborn males, but every male born into a Jewish home be killed, exterminated. And Moses is born in this time. Once Moses was about three months or so old, old enough and big enough to no longer be able to hide, his mother, and think about, think about what it would have taken to do this. His mother put him in a basket and put him into the Nile River. Now his sister, Miriam, was there when the baby was, when baby Moses was put into the water. So she's watching him to see what happens. And I'm going to say it this way, but I don't fully mean it this way. It just so happened, because nothing just so happens. I mean, if you go back and read the story, you can see the providence of God, that his hand is all in this. God worked this out, that the Pharaoh's daughter was having a bathing party nearby, and she saw the basket, opened it up, realized that it must be one of the Hebrew babies, and rather than drowning it, she took Moses to raise. She claimed him as her son. So Moses had an Egyptian mother and a Hebrew mother. Now, part of the story that I think is just tremendous is, again, Miriam is there, the sister, the older sister. And she went to the Pharaoh's daughter, and the Pharaoh's daughter had not had a baby, so she couldn't nurse Moses. So, so she came to the Pharaoh's daughter and said, I know a Hebrew woman that would nurse him. She didn't say, um, let's go find an Egyptian woman who can nurse him because an Egyptian woman would not have thought to ever nurse or give life to a Hebrew baby. Lo and behold, she got Moses' own mother to nurse Moses. Now, it, it's hard to know how long she took care of Moses. But most scholars think that she had a direct influence on his life until he was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15. So, so think about this. He's being raised by an Egyptian mother that pours Egyptian culture into him. And he's being raised by a Hebrew woman that's pouring her culture into him. But listen, her culture includes God. In, in the Egyptian culture, Moses is being taught, hey, um, you look an awful lot like us. You're adopted. But we can overlook that. We're going to put you in the line of succession to the throne of Egypt. Now, he may be on down there. We don't know how many other sons that the Pharaoh would have had, but he's at least a prince of Egypt. 
And so you've got this mother that at some point she has to turn Moses over to this Egyptian woman who changes his haircuts. Probably shaves his head bald. It was a part of royalty in their culture to have a shaved head and to wear a head dress. Really, it's a matter of lice. He wears the royal makeup, the royal clothes. And on one hand, this Egyptian mother is telling him, because you're a prince in Egypt, one day you'll be a god. But he had this Hebrew mama that would say, Moses, you're no god. There is a god, and you're not him. But God created you with a purpose and a plan. And one day, I want you to live out God's purpose and plan for your life. So Moses came to the point in his own life, you know, he, he's, he's got these two mamas that are giving him this, these different plans, these, these different cultures. But he had to, at some point in his own life, answer the question, who am I? If he would have said, I'm an Egyptian, and lived the rest of his life like an Egyptian, it it would have been easy street for him. It would have been an easy life, a life of privilege. He would have been able to enjoy everything that came with being a prince of Egypt. But if he said, I am a Jew, the Pharaoh would have never allowed that to stand in his home. Moses would have been kicked out. He would have been sent to live with his people as a slave for the rest of his life. And Moses grew to be a man, believing that God had a purpose and a plan for his life. And I can, I can show you that right here. One day Moses was out where the Hebrew people were building, they were serving. And one of the Egyptian taskmasters began to beat on one of the Hebrews. And Moses was a man of conscience. And he couldn't just walk away and see this injustice being done. And so he took action. And he killed the Egyptian taskmaster, buried him in the sand. The next day, two Hebrews were fighting against each other, and Moses tried to break it up. Now, see, he's he's injecting his life into their lives. He tries to break it up. And one of them says, what are you going to do to us, what you did to the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses realized that he had been seen. And so he fled, and he lived sort of a a life on the run for at least the next 40 years. But he made a decision about who he was and who he was going to live for. And verse 24 in Hebrews 11 reminds us, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, 
not as a little boy anymore, but when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be an Egyptian. That word refused means that he completely cut himself off from living as an Egyptian. So, so again, Moses came to a crossroad in his life. He had to pick a path. Who am I going to live as? Who am I going to live for? Am I going to live as an Egyptian and live for me and be my own God? Or am I going to follow the path of truth and realize that I'm not God, but there is a God, and he has a purpose and a plan for my life? Moses picked the right path. Listen, don't waste your life trying to live someone else's life. Have the courage to be who God created you to be. I like cooler weather because I like sweaters and sweatshirts. Okay? So pretty soon, I'm going to show up on Sundays. If it's game day, I'll probably have on a Panthers jersey. And you don't have to wear a Panthers jersey, obviously. You can wear the Cowboys or the Colts or the Steelers or whoever you are. So I'll either have on a jersey on game day. Other days, I'll probably have on a long-sleeve dress shirt and a sweater. But I'm standing up here today in shorts and tennis shoes and a t-shirt because that's who I am. Some days I'm shorts and tennis shoes and a t-shirt and some days I'm golf shorts and a golf shirt and flip-flops. And there are some environments where the environment dictates the dress. But I think in church, you ought to be who you are. And don't pretend. So I, I know that it's still shocking for some of you when you come in and there's the preacher. In fact, you, if you're a first time or second time guest today, you, you might even think that must be the youth pastor. Nope. Nope, I'm the founding and lead pastor and I'm comfortable. How about you? Be yourself. That, that, that doesn't mean that there, there aren't others that you look at them uh, for a leadership model or certain characteristics. I mean, we, we need people that we can learn from, but you can't copy other people. My, my, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, and I loved listening to him preach. And I have books and books of his sermons, and we don't preach anything alike. He would roll over in his grave if he knew I was up here in shorts and tennis shoes today. He never went anywhere without a white starch shirt and black dress pants and dress shoes. I don't care if he was going to the hardware store. Again, be yourself. Who did God create you to be? Live out his plan and purpose for your life. I tell my kids that all the time. 
I want my kids to grow up and be involved in ministry, but not because that's the family business. It won't work. They've got to be who God created them to be. Got it? All right, here's key number two. Take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for your own life. I know this is going to sound like I'm lecturing, but I'm not. Well, maybe. Um, I, I won't call it lecturing, I'll just call it preaching. How about that? Look again at Hebrews eleven twenty-five. It says, he chose to be mistreated. Who is he? Moses. And Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sins. Moses picked, he chose, he made a decision. And let me tell you something, the decisions we make, they have consequences, for, for Moses, the decision that he made to live as a Hebrew slave, the decision he made to identify with the Hebrews rather than the Egyptians cost him the next 80 years. That one decision directed the rest of his life Our decisions, our choices, they have consequences. The first decision that some of us need to make here this morning is to take responsibility for our own lives. That, that means... Stop blaming people for your life and own your life. Stop blaming other people for who you are and where you are. Now listen to me, because I don't want you to mishear. I, I, don't want, I don't want some emails this week because you've understood what I mean here. I'm not saying that others have not had a hand in your life to where you are now. We all are raised by parents, and some of them are good and some of them are not. Some of them are somewhere in between. I'm not saying that there are not, there's not been abuse or circumstances in your life that have shaped your path or shaped the person that you've become. But listen, wherever you are right now and whoever has had a hand in that, you have to own where you are. Because that, a per, that person who abused you is not going to come back and help fix everything and make things okay. That parent that walked out on you is, is likely never going to come back and try to work through things. I, I have some cousins in, in my family that... Their dad, my uncle, was just not a good father. 
And he left them in children's homes and with family and just abandoned them for, for months and sometimes years at a time. And, and those, those kids, for the most part, grew up without him in their lives. We get together every year at Christmas time. And sometimes I sit back and I look at my cousins interact with their father now. And sometimes I just have to stop in amazement at what these kids are willing to forgive because they want a father. They want a relationship with him. And, and, and th- this guy went Christmas after Christmas and birthday after birthday, never knowing if, they, if anybody remembered their birthday or gave them a present or treated them kindly. He, he, he probably never in, in their lives thought, my kids are starting school and they need clothes and they need school supplies. That was always my dad, my mom, and a couple of other aunts and uncles that took care of those things. And they love on them, all but one. One of, one of my cousins, he's never owned up to being his father. And occasionally, every, every few years, we get together at a, well, a few months ago, we got together at a funeral. And this, this cousin came, and he has an awesome wife and two great daughters, and, and he's doing so well in life. And he has so much bitterness towards his dad, and I understand it. Man, I, I get it. I, I honestly think that he's the one that's got it right, and the other four, they're, they're, they hate him too. And I know what my cousin wants. He wants his dad to come in and sit down one day and say, I am sorry, I was a terrible parent. Let's start being father and son today. But my uncle is never going to do that. My uncle is clueless. He has no idea that he's done anything wrong. That's how self-absorbed he is. He's never going to give my cousin what my cousin really probably needs so that he can heal and move on with the rest of his life. And so I told, I told him recently, listen, I love your dad. I love my uncle. But he's never going to give you what you're looking for. He's, cl- he's clueless. He, he doesn't understand it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Some of you have people in your lives that have hurt you or abused you. They've abandoned you. And... And you're just holding on to it. And you have for 20, 30 years. And you're just waiting for that moment when that person comes in and they repent and everything is 
made right. And maybe that'll happen to a few. But for most, that's never going to happen. And so you can spend the, the rest of your life being bitter at that person. And letting that person keep you stuck in your emotions. Or you can just say, this is my life. And I have to own where I'm at. I've got to make some different decisions. If there's going to be changes in my life, I'm the one that's going to have to make them. Look, stop waiting for somebody else to come in and fix your life. If you're older than 18, you are the one responsible for making the decisions for where you go in the future. And you can't change your life until you take responsibility for it. I'm not saying there there are not others to blame, but you have to be the one to take responsibility for it. Do do we have any San Francisco 49ers in the house? I'm raising my hand, not because I am one, but just, just curious, just curious. The San Francisco 49ers, uh, their wide receiver, Jerry Rice, Hall of Famer, read a quote from him this past week where he said, don't waste too much of today worrying about yesterday. Part of taking responsibility for your life is dealing with the past, but don't spend too much time there. You can't change anything there. You can't change anything about this morning. The only thing you can do is begin where you are right now and make decisions, good decisions, the right decisions, better decisions going forward. That's a mark of maturity. The Hebrew preacher says in Hebrews 11.24, when Moses had grown up, being grown up, being mature. And by the way, you can be grown without being mature. Can I get an amen? Anybody know those people? Anybody in here willing to admit they are those people? That's okay. Take responsibility for where you are. And it really does come down to a matter of ownership. Like who owns your life? Because when I, when I say own your life, I don't mean just go out and live any way that you want to live. I mean, you have to take responsibility for it. But until Jesus Christ owns your life, you're not going to make the best decisions. You might make good ones. Career-wise, relationally, you might make good decisions. but you won't make the most important decisions. You won't be fully on the right path until you follow the narrow way. Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? See, that's the change that needs to happen in some of your lives this morning. The, the, The problem may be that you've taken too much ownership of your life. You need to give over ownership and control of your life to the one that created you. 
the one that died for you, the one that lives for you, the one who can save you from your sins, forgive you from your sins and give you a purpose and a plan to live out right now in the hope of heaven and eternity. If you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you do that now? Just bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around but me. If you know the Lord is speaking to you, you don't have to wait. You, you, you already know. So while we pray together, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And you don't, you don't have to say the prayer out loud. You can say it in your heart and in your mind. And God will hear you when you pray. And just say this. God, right now, in the best way I know how, I'm giving you my life. I'm crossing the line from unbelief to belief. I'm giving control of my life away because, Lord, others have directed my life or I've directed my life and it's just not going in the right direction and I know that. So, Jesus, I give you control. I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me the courage that I need to live for you every day from this day forward. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. And those who agreed said, close with this right here. You don't have to be afraid to be yourself, to be who God created you to be. Because God loves you no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in life, no matter how long you've been doing it, and no matter what's been done to you, God loves you. And so do I. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. You're dismissed. Hey guys, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. I, I love the weather outside. Let's see, it's uh, still about 76 degrees. That's almost perfect, isn't it? Oh, man, I love this time. Of, yeah, and this morning it was really cool outside. I, I don't know. It makes me feel younger, makes me feel more energized. And um, Karen, for the last two or three days, has been burning uh, candles that have pumpkin spice in them and that sort of thing. I dig it all, man. I, I love that stuff. And uh, so it's exciting. Hey, uh, if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. And go to Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to look at verses 23 through 29. Again, that's Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. Hebrews is in the New Testament of the Bible, sort of at the back. If uh, you find Peter and James, you're really close. So go to Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. 
Now, uh, if you've got your message notes out, I want you to flip those over and look on the back. Because what you're going to see is that today I'm teaching a message called Four Keys to Living a Life with Faith. Here's the thing. Sometimes with my preaching, I get a little overly ambitious. And I did that on this message. And I realized that during the first service, that I really only have time to give you two of these key principles for building and growing a greater faith. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Moses today and next week. Unless you guys want to stay over an extra 45 minutes or so. Next week, okay. I, I did hear some godly people saying, preach on, brother. But I think the general consensus is we'll just do part one today and part two next week. Uh, I'm excited about this series. It's a brand new series we're kicking off today called Greater Faith. And for the next several weeks, probably all the way through October, we're going to be looking into the lives of some of the greatest men and women in the entire Bible. Now listen, listen. When I say that they are great men and women of God, they were not perfect. They're not perfect. I mean, they're, they're regular, ordinary people in the same way that you and I are regular, ordinary people. Now, our main text for the series is going to be Hebrews 11, okay? And that's sometimes called the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. Um, and so what you have to realize is that in this chapter, they're just given the highlight reel. There's also a bloopers reel to their lives, but that's not included here. It's included in other places in their story. Like in, in the Old Testament, when, when you talk about Moses, we're going to talk about Moses today. You, you can go to the book of Exodus Well, Exodus and Deuteronomy, and you can see the bloopers. You can see some of the mistakes that he made. So I'm not trying to give you the sense that the people that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks were perfect or that they got everything right or that somehow they're just humans on a different level than we are because it's not true. They were regular people. But here's the difference between them and, and many of us. They had an irregular faith. They, they had learned along the way how to have a greater faith in God. So when I talk about these people, and I call them great men and women of God, what I really mean is that they just had a great faith in a God that can do anything. Now, now there are two reasons why I think the series is really important. Two reasons. The first one is that it, it's going to build us up. It's going to encourage us. As a pastor, that makes me excited because I get to teach you some things about some important people in the Bible, things that maybe you didn't know about, and I can t uh, tell you about and show you ways that God worked in their lives, and so that'll build you up. You know, if God can do this through Noah's life, he can do something similar through mine. If God did this through Abraham's life, he can do something similar to mine. So it's going to build us up and encourage us. But the second reason I'm so excited about this series is because I have felt like for 
about a year and a half, maybe a little longer, that God is positioning me and you and our church to do things that we never really imagined would be possible. I, I believe that God, and I, I don't have time to, to tell you everything now, but over the, the next several weeks, I'm going to show you some things and talk to you about some things that I believe God is doing in the life of our church and some ways that he wants us to go to the next level. To be a greater church with a greater impact, and to do that, it's going to take greater faith. Make sense? So again, today we're starting in the life of Moses. Now, I don't mean any sort of offense to Abraham or Joshua or Noah or any of the other great people in the Bible, but I think that Moses is probably the greatest man in the Old Testament. And he has a tremendous highlight reel. Like some of the, the things on his resume are um, just, just his birth story. How many of you know about Moses and when he was born and how he was saved in a basket? How, how many of you know that? It's a tremendous story. I want to encourage you to go back to Exodus chapter 1 and, and read that. We're going to talk a little bit about his birth today and, and unpack just, just a little of that. But just a great, great, great story. Uh, the Ten Commandments. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? The Ten Words. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to give to the people of God. Um, have you ever heard the word Torah? Not like Torah, Torah, Torah. T-O-R-A-H. Uh, it's the first five books of the Bible. Neil. It's good to see you. I just now saw you sitting here. And so if I don't say it now, I won't be able to concentrate on anything else. It's so good to see you here this morning. Upright, healthy, new heart. Well, not a new heart, but new pathways in there. You're looking good. Pat, you're taking good care of them. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote them. I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And then, of course, he led God's people through the exodus. I would say that other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the exodus, which is God leading his people, who were called the Hebrews, the Jews, and the children of Israel, all the same, it's when God led his people out of Egyptian slavery. That, that, that's got to be the second greatest event in the entire Bible. In fact, everything that Jesus said, everything Jesus did, everything that Jesus believed about himself is based on the Exodus. Well, God used Moses to set his people free. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? But again, Listen, Moses was not perfect. Are you hearing me? He's not perfect. He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. But somewhere along the way, he learned to have this 
this great thing. You don't have to write this down. I'm, I'm going to say it probably every week that we're in this series. I want to give you a definition for what faith is. Faith, at least in the way it's described in Hebrews 11, is trusting and obeying God. No matter what the circumstances might be, and no matter what the consequences might be. And, that, and that's big. I mean, think, think about that for a minute. It means knowing the word of God and listening to God so that when God tells you to do something and you know that it's God, when God tells you to do something, you trust God that he'll keep his word and you obey him. That means that you do whatever he asks you to do, irregardless of the circumstances of your life and irregardless of what the consequences might be. Now, listen, that might sound one way in here on a Sunday morning when none of us are being persecuted because of our faith in Christ, but the Hebrew preacher in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, he is talking to people who are dying because of their faith in Christ. These are not just empty words. And so the Hebrew preacher is saying to these Jewish Christians who are being persecuted, burned at Nero's garden parties, torn apart in uh, theaters by wild animals, kicked out of their Jewish communities because they're no longer following the ways of Judaism, but they're following Jesus. He says to them, Trust that God will keep his word. Obey what he's telling you to do, even though you don't understand how it's all going to work out, irregardless of the circumstances. And the circumstances for them is that they're being destroyed. And no matter what the consequences might be, even if you die, trust and obey. Today's message is called Four Keys to Living a Life of Faith. Obviously, it, it's going to be two keys today and two keys next week. But I, I'll give you these keys or these principles after we, we read and unpack Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. Still with me? Still with me? Nobody's asleep yet? Okay, here we go. The Hebrew preacher just keeps going in the story. He says, by faith, which is what he's talking about, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, one of the things you have to remember is that the Hebrew preacher, when he's writing to the audience who, who got this for the first time, they, they, they had a good understanding of who Moses was. They had a good understanding of their history, and maybe some of us don't know it so well. So once we read this passage and we talk more about Moses, I'll explain what some of these things are here. But there's an, an edict out by the king that all of the little Jewish boys are to be massacred, exterminated, murdered. But Moses' parents saw something in him that made him more than ordinary. Which sounds like the typical parents, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? 
I mean, everybody, everybody thinks their kid's just, just the best. And even if they don't say it that way, they're like, you know, my kid, he's just, he's just extra special. He, he just learns to eat his Cheerios a little quicker than the other kids in our family learn to eat his Cheerios. He, he's, he's, he's just absorbing so much at age three. He's just, he's just so special. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> they, they all are. They all are. But there really was something different about Moses. They preserved his life more later. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Just sort of let that simmer on the back burner of your mind. We'll come back to it. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. That means that Moses wasn't living just for the here and now. And by the time this is written about Moses' life, I mean, Moses has already grown up and died. But by the time he makes the decision not to identify in life as an Egyptian, man, he has already had a big, big, sweet taste of just what the treasures in Egypt can be like. He's had a big dose of the good life. But at some point in his life, he turned away from it. He lived for a greater reward, a future reward, one that he couldn't see. By faith, he left, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Who do you think him who is invisible is? It's God. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer or the death angel of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. In verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians tried to do so, and they were drowned. Do you see that? Verse 23, by faith. Verse 24, by faith. Verse 27, by faith. Verse 28 and 29, by faith. The Hebrew preacher is trying to teach these Christians, this second generation of Christians who are going through so much to live by faith. So two keys for having a greater faith and living your life by faith. Write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, have the courage to be yourself. Have the courage to be yourself. Once you got that written down, I want you to look up at me. I can't look at all of you in the eyes, but you can look me in the eyes. I want to make sure that you get this. Is that everybody? God has a plan and purpose for your life. I'm not just talking about the person next to you, in front of you, or behind you. I'm talking about you. God has a plan and purpose for your life. So stop trying to live someone else's life. 
Stop. God did not create you to live out someone else's life. He created you to be you. And the reason I say have the courage to be yourself is because if you're going to be yourself, it's going to take courage because we live in a world that desperately wants to put pressure on us to live like everyone else. But God didn't create you to live like everyone else. He created you to be you and live out his purpose and plan for your life. And let me tell you what happens. If you try to live someone else's life, you'll have an identity crisis. And and it's possible to go all the way through life frustrated because you don't know who you're really supposed to be. You don't know how to live your life because you've spent so much time living someone else's life. Moses knew what it was like to have an identity crisis. Let me explain. He was born a Jew, and he was raised as an Egyptian. Like I said earlier, the, the birth story of Moses is, it, it's fascinating. You should go back and read it, Exodus 1, Exodus 2. Just a little background. The book of Genesis ends with the Joseph narratives, okay? About chapter 36 in Genesis to the end of the book, chapter 50. The Joseph narratives. Joseph was a hero in Egypt because God gave him a famine plan, a food rationing plan that saved the Egyptians from starvation. Okay? So the the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, was so grateful that he told Joseph to send for all of his family who were in the region but also starving. He said, bring all of your family so that they can live here amongst us. And so that's what they did. And when Genesis ends, in Genesis 50, everybody is just living happily ever after. But when the book of Exodus opens 300 or so years later, everything has fallen apart. And remember, Moses likely wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he begins the book of Exodus by saying that a new king had come to power who no longer remembered Joseph. That that means that what Joseph did 300 years ago was ancient history. It's a whole Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. That's Janet Jackson, right? What have you done for me lately? Okay. I was a big, bigger Michael fan than a Janet fan. They, they don't remember. It doesn't matter anymore. And over 300 years, the Hebrews, the Jews, the children of Israel, again, all the same, they've, they've grown to quite a big family. And Egypt is expanding, and they need slave labor. 
And so the king, the Pharaoh, enslaved the people of God and put them to work on his building projects. And along with that, to control the population, he put out an edict that every male child born to a Jew was to be killed as an infant. Moses was born during this time. And so think about, think about what this took for Moses' mama. After he was about three months old and they couldn't hide him anymore, she took him and put him in a basket and put him in the water in the Nile River, hoping that by the grace of God, he would survive. His older sister, Miriam, was there, and she was watching to see what happened to Moses. Now, it just so happened, and I say just so happened very loosely because if you read the story, you can see how God is working out. None of this is coincidence. It just so happened that the Pharaoh's daughter, again, the Pharaoh who had put out the edict that all the Hebrew, all the Jewish babies have to die, his daughter is having a bath party in the Nile River. And she found the basket, opened it up, and knew immediately it had to be one of the Hebrew babies born to a family that was supposed to die. But these fam- this family just could not imagine Egyptian soldiers coming in to kill him. So they put him in the basket, put him on the water, and hoped for the best. The Pharaoh's daughter took Moses as her son. Now, she had not recently had a baby, so she couldn't nurse him. She also could not ask another Egyptian woman to nurse him because the jig would be up. She couldn't hide that the baby is hers. Or she couldn't pretend that the baby is hers. Or if word got out and it embarrassed the Pharaoh, who knows what he's going to do? He'll doom the baby. So Miriam said to the Pharaoh's daughter, how about if I go and find a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby? So which Hebrew woman do you think she went and found? Moses' mama. And so she took care of Moses. And, and scholars think that she raised Moses and had a, an influence in his life, a direct influence, up until the time he was maybe 15, 16, 17, 18 years of age. So think about this. Moses has a Hebrew mama and an Egyptian mama. And once Moses no, no longer needs a mother to nurse him, Moses' mother would have, his biological mother would have looked out for him and had an influence, but the Egyptian woman is also influencing him. And she's dressing him, not like a Hebrew, not like one of the slave children. She's dressing him in baby gap, Egyptian baby gap. 
And he's, he's wearing a king's, his baby gap, is that nice baby clothes? I don't know, I don't remember. She's dressing him in fine Egyptian cloth. He, he's wearing clothes that the royal people would wear. And he's got the haircut of an Egyptian, which probably means that his head is, is shaved. In, in, in Egypt, at least back then, the royal families or the merchant class, they, it was in style for them to have shaved heads. The truth is it was all about lice. They had figured out every way to take care of their bodies, deodorant, perfume, all that, but they couldn't figure out how to take care of lice except with a razor. But he wore the Egyptian makeup, Egyptian headdress. He's dressed like the prince of Egypt. That Egyptian mama was doing everything she could to make that Hebrew an Egyptian. And she's telling him things like, Moshe, one day you're going to be king. And when you become king, you'll be a god here in Egypt. And his Hebrew mama was saying, Moshe, you're not a god. There is a god. You're not him. But Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he created you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. See the dilemma? Hebrew mama, Egyptian mama. Both giving him a different path to take, but at some point, Moses had to answer the question for himself, who am I? If he would have said, I'm an Egyptian, man, it would have been life on easy street at that point. He, he would have been given, as he had been already, everything that is afforded to a prince in Egypt. Every, everything that royalty can get you. It, it was his. But if he said, I'm a Hebrew, no way does the Pharaoh stand for that. He would have kicked Moses out and he would have lived among the slaves for the rest of his life. One day when Moses was grown, he was a grown man, he was out walking amongst his people, the Hebrew people. It was a building project. Um... Samson, he's like a building inspector. You know how those guys can be. And he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his Hebrew people. And Moses could have turned away. He could have walked away. But he didn't because he was a man of conscience. And he made a decision that changed the next 40 years of his life. Verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son 
of Pharaoh's daughter. The word refused means that he completely cut himself off from living as an Egyptian. When he came to the crossroad of his life where he had to pick a path, am I Hebrew, am I Egyptian? Do I go the way of the world or do I go the way of God? Do I live as my own Lord, my own King, as my own God? Or do I live following the God of the Scriptures and living out His purpose and plan for my life? Moses picked the right path. Listen, don't waste your life pretending to be someone that you're not. Be yourself. I, I, I like these cool Sunday mornings because it reminds me that fall is just right around the corner. And I love fall. In fact, I love cold weather all the way through Christmas. Pretty much on January 2nd, I'm done with cold weather and ready for spring to get here. But I I love the time of the year that we're coming into. I like the clothes better. I like sweatshirts and sweaters. And so pretty soon, next couple Sundays, I'm going to show up in here and I'm going to have on long pants and a sweater. Unless it's game day. If it's game day, I'm going to have my Panthers jersey on. Now, I know that's not normal preacher attire. I get that. But when we started Rocky River Church, I decided that we were going to be a church for people who didn't go to church, maybe had never been to church, or people who had given up on church as usual. Church as usual means that you have to come in dressed a certain way, looking a certain way, pretending like you're someone that you're not. And everybody comes in and we do church for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and then we walk out, and then we become who we really are, that person that needs help that's messed up, that doesn't have it all together, but we had to pretend like we had it all together at church. You can't have your church people knowing that you're all messed up. And so I just gave up this whole thing of I'm going to put on my church person on Sundays, and then when I get home, I'll just put on the regular me. That doesn't do me or anybody else any good. So when I get up on Sunday mornings, sometimes it's, Docker shorts and a golf shirt, and sometimes it's just Bass Pro shorts and a t-shirt, because that's just who I am. And it's not always easy. It's not been easy over the years to be the kind of church we are. We're a church for anyone, but we're not a church for everyone. You have to be yourself. 
God did not create us as a church to be just like the other church or another church. He called our church to be our church. He called you to be you. He called me to be me. Got it? All right, all right. Let, let me give you key number two. How are we doing on time? Anybody watching that clock? Oh my gosh. I should be done right now. One, one more, here we go, here we go. Take responsibility for your own life. Take responsibility for your own life. And I'm not trying to talk like your parent. I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm just going to preach at you a little bit. Look again at uh, Hebrews 11.25. It says, he, which of course is Moses, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses made a choice. He made a decision. And let me tell you something. Your decisions have consequences. My decisions have consequences. And sometimes those consequences can last a long, long time. The decision that Moses made where he said, I'm, I'm going to be Hebrew. I'm going to follow after God. I'm not going to live like an Egyptian. I'm not going to be called a Pharaoh's daughter. That didn't just cost him the next 40 years of his life. That cost him the next 80 years of his life. 40 years on the run, and then the next 40 years leading a hard-headed group of people out in the Sinai Desert. The point is, that decision and the consequences of that decision lasted the rest of his life. Okay, so look, what does that mean to you and me? You have to make the right decisions. And that starts with you taking responsibility for your own life. Stop blaming somebody else for what you are and where you are. Okay, now, now listen, I'm not saying, I want, I want to make sure you hear this because I don't want any cards, any letters, no ugly emails because you misunderstood me here. I want you to get this, okay? In the name of Jesus, I want you to get this right here, okay? I'm not saying that there have not been people along the way that have had a part in who you are and where you are in life. Because that'd be foolish. I mean, our environment has something to say about who we are and where we are in life. The people who raise us or the people who don't raise us, it has a lot to do with who we become. But if you're over the age of 16, you've got to take responsibility for where you are and where you're going. And that means that you have to stop blaming other people for what they did or what they did not do. And listen, listen, I know this is going to strike a chord. Stop waiting 
on the person that hurt you or abused you to come and make everything right with you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, maybe it'll happen, but I doubt it. That's usually not the way abusers think. And it's, it's not the way people who have hurt you think. I'll, I'll give you an example from my own family. I, I have an uncle. I love him dearly. But he has got to be one of the worst fathers ever. At least when it came to the first, the first 30, 35 years of my cousin's lives. He was always leaving them with family or dropping them off at a children's home somewhere and he would be gone months or years at a time and never have any contact with his kids. He, he didn't know, he probably, he probably doesn't know their birthdays right now. And they're all grown and have, grand, some of them have grandkids. He, he, he might know their birthdays, but he'd have to look in a book to find it. But I'll guarantee you growing up, it never occurred to him to call them at a children's home and wish them happy birthday. It never dawned on him that they might not get anything for their birthday. It, it, ne it never occurred to him that school is starting and his kids need clothes to start back to school. He always left that up to somebody else. We have Christmas together as a family every year. And sometimes, literally, I just sit back and I watch my cousins and they interact with him now. I mean, they, they love on him like he's their dad. They've, they've starved for a dad all their lives. And I, I look at them and I think that is the picture of forgiveness. What they ought to do, humanly speaking, is they ought to line up and spit in his face. But they don't. He has, he has one son that he doesn't claim, but they look like twins. My cousin looks like a young version of him. And he was raised by his grandparents and his mother. And we didn't see Timmy a whole lot growing up. But as, as adults, we've been able to, to reconnect with him. And when we get together with him and his, his great wife and two awesome daughters, it's just like they're a part of the family and we've just always been doing family stuff together but when my uncle is around my uncle ignores him and and treats him like he's not his son when he he's his son everybody knows that and and my cousin Timmy who has just made a great life for himself all my cousins have in spite of 
their growing up situation. They, 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 they've made great lives for themselves. And, and Timmy has done great in life, and, and you can tell that he just wants my uncle to sit down and say, I sucked as a dad, and I'm sorry. I can't change that, but if I could, I would. But he's never going to do that. Never. And, and, and I, I told my cousin this just a, a couple months ago when we were all together for a funeral. I said, Timmy, you're waiting on your dad, who I love, to do something he's never going to do. He's never going to sit down and say, I was a bad father and I'm sorry. Can we just start over here and go forward? He's not going to give you that. And so you just have to own that so that you can move beyond that. Some of you are stuck in your life right now because you're waiting for a parent or an older brother or sister, someone who abandoned you or hurt you to sit down and say, I'm sorry. And, and you're not going to get that. And I would tell you, you don't have to get that. I, I would tell you that you could start right where you are and say, hey, this is my life. And yes, some things haven't gone right back here. But here going forward, I'm going to make the decisions to change life going forward. And don't get caught up in yesterday. You can't change the past. I say that you need to go back to the past just long enough to learn some lessons from it and then get right out of it. Jerry Rice, Hall of Fame wide receiver, San Francisco Giants, he said, don't spend too much of today worrying about yesterday. Because you can't live in the past. There's no future looking backwards. Only you can change your life. You have to make the decisions to change your life. And look, for most of us, we can't blame where we are on someone else because we are right where our decisions have taken us. So if you want to get out of where you are, start making different decisions. And the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is which path you take. Am I going to live by the world? Am, am I going to be an Egyptian? Am I going to be my own God? Am I going to be my own leader? Or am I going to live following the God of the Bible, living out his plan and purpose for my life? And that path begins with you trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the most important decision you'll ever make. I want you to stand with me. And once you're standing, just bow your head and close your eyes. Don't pack up to move out. I, I don't want there to be too much movement because the Lord's doing business with people right now. And I don't want us to distract anybody that the Lord's speaking to. So if you know this is the decision you need to make, the first decision 
the next decision to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, give him control of your life, then just say this prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart and in your mind. Our God is the God who searches hearts and minds, and he will hear you when you pray. Just say, God, today I'm giving you my life. Jesus, in the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I realize that I can't fix my life, and and nobody else can come in and fix my life. But moving from where I am to where you want me to be means making the right decisions And the decision I'm making right now is to follow you, to trust you. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. Forgive me when I've taken the wrong path. And now fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit to live with the courage that it takes to to live for you and be the person you created me to be to live out your purpose and plan for my life. Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen. So I'm gonna gonna let you leave on this. You can be yourself because Jesus loves you. And I know not everybody listening right now believes that, but he does. He loves you no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in life, no matter how long you've been doing it, and no matter what's been done to you. The world may not care for you, I'll give you that, but Jesus loves you, never forget that. God bless you. You're dismissed.